Our guest today is Orlando Size. Orlando is the co-founder and CEO of Acre, a precision crop diagnostic data and service company. We are going to talk about what that means and more generally about how technology and agriculture intersect. We'll talk about how Orlando got into the agriculture and technology space and who his customers are and what they learn from using specialized drones to monitor their crops. It's an interesting deep dive into a part of the technology world that I, for one, did not know very much about, and I hope you enjoy it. TableXI offers training for developer and product teams. If you want me to come to your place of business and run an interactive hands-on workshop, I would very much like to do that. We can help your developers learn topics like testing or Rails and JavaScript or managing legacy code. Or we can help your entire product team improve their agile process. Also, if you're in the Chicago area, be on the lookout for our new public workshops, including our How to Buy Custom Software workshop and hopefully more to come. For more information, email us at workshops at tablexi.com or find us on the web at tablexi.com slash workshops. And now, here's the show. Orlando, would you like to tell everybody who you are and what you do? Uh, thank you for inviting me. Uh, yes, Orlando Saez, CEO and co-founder of a company called Acre Technologies. I'm based in the Chicago area. I'm a computer engineer. I uh, did master's of computer science and MBA here in Chicago. I worked in software systems in the telecommunications space for many years and then uh, was lucky enough to be in the C-suite of a handful of startup companies. We founded Acre in 2016 with my co-founder, Todd Gali, who's a farmer in southern Minnesota. And ag is fascinating and beautiful. Tell everybody what Acre does. Acre is in the tech agricultural sector. And I think that a lot of people uh, listening to this will not be aware that there is much of a tech agricultural sector. Although if you listen back to the podcast that we did a couple months ago with Jamie Hampton, Jamie's company is also involved in agricultural technology. The, the vision that we have at Acre is that we believe in finding the cause of crop stress. And so we created a very unique and interesting technology to find pests and pathogens in the field. So you're trying to help farmers find things that are stressing their crops and then help them deal with them? Yeah, let me explain the problem that we saw because that way you can relate to better uh, about our technology. But, you know, I, I started farming as I was invited um, uh, with my co-founder, and I knew nothing about farming five years ago. And uh, I landed as I met him, and the first task that he gives me to do is he gives me a clipboard, and he said, Orlando, walk my fields and find how nature craps out in my fields. And it's like, okay, how do you do that? It's like, well, you got to walk. If you don't know much about agriculture, and I'm sure that if you travel the savannah of the Midwest, you don't have a lot of people walking corn and soybeans. That doesn't happen. There's not a lot of people walking fields. But that happens to be the only way that growers can confirm what disease, pests, and pathogens are afflicting their yields or impacting their yields. So the way that growers deal with this today is very simple. Because they have limited resources, they go to a corner of a field, they lift a leaf, and they see bugs underneath, and they either spray the whole thing as a precaution or they skip the application altogether of fungicide and insecticide just to save money. Neither one of these actions is financially uh, wise or environmentally sustainable. That's the problem that we solve. How do you solve it? What technology do you bring to bear on this? We have some pretty cool stuff, man. We, we develop our tech is essentially for people that are more familiar with the broad category in the industries. We operate in three sectors. Uh, we operate in the remote sensing or this IoT, if you will. We have drones uh, that we have as part of our solution, and we have machine learning. All those three things are combined. I can, I'm can i happy to take a minute and describe how we apply all those three things to solve the problem that we have. Yeah. Start with drones, I think. Drones seemed interesting. Drone, as you know, it's an interesting technology. A lot of the agricultural modality or the way that technologies are 
coming into agriculture is because of this need for automation. We don't have enough people, therefore we need to automate and we need to do more with less. Drones is an interesting way to uh, fly fields and collect data. And so you attach a number of sensors into a drone and you collect biomass index or chlorophyll content through something that is called NDVI. Uh, which is essentially tells you the degree of reflectance of the green. It gives you a stress signature. Is this plant stress or not? So this is like an x-ray. So we use a drone, much the same way that there is many drones. But instead of flying high, we have our own set of uh, what we call payload, our own cameras and sensors. Um, we created our own pod, we call it True Cause, that has cameras, computer vision, CO2 sensor, humidity, barometric pressure, and a biometric film. And then we dip it. You know, think of this as a selfie stick attached, hanging off a drone. And then you fly the drone and you dip the stick underneath the leaves. And so for the first time, we're capturing information at the earliest manifestation of disease and pests, just like a person walking the fields. So the drone takes the place of the person walking the fields because with that extended camera, you can still get in under the leaves and see what's actually going on uh, more efficiently. Yep, that's exactly it. And that's pretty unprecedented. It hasn't been done. The way that the technology is used today for drones is you fly high and you come up with a stress signature, but it doesn't give you the cost of the stress. It gives you a stress indicator, which you still need to walk and verify what the heck is going on in order to know what to apply. Uh, we take one step further by uh, not going to the symptoms, by, but identifying the cost. Is that where some of the machine learning comes in? Yeah, the machine learning comes in in the next stage, which is, well, what happens when you capture pictures? I mean, we have this uh, camera sensor that goes under the leaves and takes hundreds of pictures and is all automated. And the drone flies every two and a half acres and we collect data. It's more of a sampling every two and a half acres. And at the end of the day, we end up with like 5,000 images, a ton of images. Now the question becomes, now, so what? What do we do with this? All these images are naturally raster and metadata. Somebody has to sit down and look at that. So the first time out, and this is what part of our workflow is, um, we have a staff of professional agronomists looking at every single image and then um, marking uh, what um, growers and the industry, you know, chemical suppliers and retailers care about. And we classify things basically in four types. We find in an image whether it has a fertility issue, a disease issue, an insect issue, or some other kind of environmental damage. And then that becomes kind of our training data set for what uh, we anticipate in the future. We will reduce the reliance on this agronomist desk that we have to have and um, increase the ability to anticipate and predict and interpret the image as it comes in an automatic way. You said that the drone... Uh, you use the drone every two and a half acres. How big typically are the farms that you are deploying this technology on? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. So the drones that we use, so farms in, in the Midwest are large, right? And so you cannot go to Best Buy and buy a DJI drone and expect to fly, you know, a thousand acres. You know, those drones don't work for more than a half hour. So the first thing is that you have to work with next generation drones. We work with several, the one that we're starting, it's a company in California, Skyfront. They build the first drone that is a multi-rotor drone that flies for five hours straight. And the reason is, you know, in the automobile industry where we went from combustion engine to electric and the drones were going the opposite way. We're going from electric to combustion. So this is a, um, a two-stroke engine that can fly. Very interesting. It has a lot of very cool technology, but it's a, it's a leaf blower and, and it can fly for five hours straight. So we use that technology, first of all. Not cheap. You cannot buy it in Best Buy. So that's the the frame uh, or the host that we use to for our technology. And so 
we fly sample fields and our company acts much like a weather company. Um, so in, back when you had weather stations, you put them very spread apart because the technology was expensive. As the technology for weather stations um, became more commoditized, you deploy weather stations in every single farm. So we anticipate the same phenomenon. So what we do today is we sample, you know, we go and we take a 40 acre field here and then we drive five miles. We do another 40 acres, we fly five miles, and then we create a, a pest map, much like a weather map across an entire county. So we're doing this county by county across, you know, all the states in the United States. There's 450 counties that are responsible for 75% of all the production of corn and soybeans. So that is our, that's our oyster. Are you then able to aggregate the information across different farms to you know, warn places that might be threatened? You know, if there's like insects here that they might be at the neighboring uh, property soon, like, are you able to do that level of shared data? That's part of what we do that is pretty cool that a lot of people are geeking out about, you know, the way that this practice exists today is that people have to walk fields and not until this technology has is coming in to enable this automation, it hasn't been possible to aggregate. So what's cool is as we aggregate this information, you have a number of stakeholders that are very curious about what this means and what it can do to improve productivity in farms and sustainability. For growers, it's very immediate. Uh, if I know what's going on and I can see it, I can act on it right there on the spot. So it's basically to support their crop management practices. They have 120 days from the moment that they plant the seed to the moment that they harvest. They have a number of shots to get it right and they need the most information to take the right action. We help them there. For chemical suppliers, it's a little bit different. They have to mobilize a lot of fertilizer and, and crop protection chemistry across the country. And they don't know what are the indications that are going to be more prevalent this year compared to last year. And it changes because you have one element that is chaotic, and that's called nature. You can't fool nature. So part of what um, uh, chemical suppliers want is more of a projection of where these uh, particular pests and pathogens are moving. And so would they intersect our data with other data sets, um, you know, weather, air flows, et cetera, to know the incidence of rust, for instance. Wheat rust is pretty bad and moves from the warmer climates to the colder climates. We're in spring now. When we have an outbreak of these diseases, it starts to move north. And so they use our technology and our data to be able to understand the movement of these pests and pathogens so that they can manage logistics. The commodities guys love what we're doing because they're all about predicting yield so that they can hedge in commodities and trade. So they use our data to improve um, the alpha to be able to predict the yields for different crops that they trade. And so there's, it's a pretty broad market out there that we are enabling, and that's exciting for us. What's it like working with that sector First of all, as customers, and second of all, as users, like, are they more skeptical than other sectors? Like, what was different about what you expected when you started dealing with existing agriculture stakeholders from what you actually found when you uh, got there? Well, at first, especially, and this is a tendency of somebody who's, or people who are not in agriculture coming into the a new field, you know, we tend to see the world very um, analytically. And so we see, you know, what can we do right? How can we leverage technology? And we have all the answers potentially related to ROI. What we fail to understand is that agriculture is an industry that has been optimized and has been, you know, for thousands of years. So growers are very smart, very entrepreneurial, and uh, they're very practical. 
So a lot of what we learned early on is um, the previous generation of companies that started came with a prediction ball. It's like, well, we don't know what's actually out there, but let me give you a conditions are right model. Conditions are right is, well, we don't know exactly what's out there. We don't have people walking the fields, but you know what? We know the heat degree days. We know the weather. We, we have all these other technologies that we can intersect data to tell you what's the potential for a pest, and therefore you need to take action. Well, the first thing that grower said is like, no way. I'm not going to rely on a prediction ball. They're very practical. And so they, from that perspective, uh, that has been um, a wake-up call for many companies, including us, in terms of realizing that the way forward was to find pests and pathogens under the leaves and come back with a photo like you walk into their fields with an iPhone and take a picture. Did you find skepticism because of things that had been done by previous generations of technology companies that were unable to deliver on what they said they were going to do? Absolutely. There is early adopters in every industry and they are willing to take a risk and farmers are no exception. They like to take risk. The problem is in the agricultural space, especially in this uh, uh, in the last three years, uh, the margins are so small that farmers are challenge to pick technologies that are proven before they can uh, adopt it. So they're, you know, everybody's curious and everybody wants something new to improve yield, whether it's through technology, biotechnology, better seed, all of that. But um, it's very tough when you don't have an economy that is producing high margins. You know, as I was preparing for this, I was remembering a presentation that I saw more than 20 years ago, uh, more than 20 years ago, I was working as an intern at Apple and they were, I, I think I'm getting the dates on this right. They were interested in applications of what was the current mobile technology at the time, Newtons. And they were talking to people who were using Newtons in agriculture in, not in America, but in, in I think in India, where they're having people use the, the what were the hot new mobile devices to take crop readings and be able to aggregate personal observation in a way that they hadn't been able to. I think I'm remembering that right. I definitely remember that trying to use the current mobile technology to do data gathering that had not been able to be done before. Are you finding like anything like that? Have we moved beyond just handing people iPhones and, and having them take observations? Does that still have a value? There's still a lot of Newtons out there that are putting, are attempting to put stuff. And and I'll, I'll give you one headline here, here that is even, if you want to sh show up to a farmer and be more credible, let me tell you something not to do. Every presentation that I've seen, and Apple is no exception in some of these big companies, start like this. You know, we're going to have to feed 9.5 billion people by the year 2050, and we need to grow double what we do today. And oh, by the way, my tech will feed the world. That is such a stupid response to how to deal with agriculture because it undermines the complexity of the industry. So, and I, like I said before, growers are good at what they do. So part of what I see that needs to happen more is not the technology itself, but the technology and function of the use case that drives value. And there's not a lot of that. And what you see is all these efforts that are disjointed where companies, you know, Microsoft is doing a very a better effort at this this time around. They have a, a department or a group called FarmBeats where they're taking farms in India and applying their technology. And they have some serious investments to understand how the technology translates into value for the growers. But it has to be translated for the grower, not for what the technology company thinks that it can be used. And so I think that's a positive trend in industry. But there's a fair amount of things that is still throwing stuff on the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, I think that there's a long history in technology of technologists assuming they know everything about an industry 
and, and yeah. sort of blithely, blithely assuming that the technology was going to fix problems when they wildly underestimated the complexity. Is there another example of uh, some complexity in the way growers work that you had to take into account that you weren't aware of when you started? Well, it's the intersectional data. I mean, the, the, the biggest complexity here is everybody, all this technology and, and infrastructure and farming is very advanced. Uh, what people fail to see is, uh, you know, this group of technologies all under the umbrella of what we call precision ag is related to the process of analyzing and guiding uh, more targeted actions started many decades ago with soil sampling. So we dig a bucket of dirt and we take it to the lab and now we have GIS reference that. Then auto steer, you know, so we have self-driving cars. Well, in agriculture, auto steer for combines have existed decades before we introduce auto steer in regular roads. That creates data. And then you have field mapping, GIS, satellite, drone, yield monitors. You have more technology. So farmers are shower. They have an overabundance of data. And what is failing to come together is this interoperability to be able to translate and look at different sources of data in a way that can be more relevant for them and for what they need to do. And I think that's the opportunity ahead. Do you see a difference between the people who are actually purchasing your products and the people who are actually using it? Like, Do the customers and the actual users have different needs or different desires? What kind of research did you, did you do on the ways that these products are actually used literally in the field? So, so yeah, I have only one example, and that relates to our own service. When we started the company, we started a, a drone fleet service or mapping service where we um, um, kind of think of us as a Uber of drones as far as the back end. And then uh, we would dispatch drone operators, which we do throughout the country. We have an infrastructure of over 30 pilots in 21 states, and we fly high. The first wave of companies that did this uh, were analyzing the obvious. So there's a lot of drone companies that will collect data and would go to the grower and say, hey, grower, no, pay me $250 an acre and I will fly your fields and then tell you something that you may not know. And the first wave of companies came in and they were analyzing the obvious. What kinds of things were they saying that were obvious? They were telling the farmers things that they already knew. Well, so so NDVI gives you stress and one of the or thermal. Let's let's pick thermal. I'm going to do a thermal because it gives you obviously the number one component that is needed to grow healthy plants is water. So a thermal signature gives you the degree of water that I can see. So I'm going to find where there's deposits and moisture of water. Well, guess what? Growers know exactly where they have drown out areas, etc. So you're coming back paying for money to tell me something that I know. Thank you. So that's the first thing. The second wave, going back to you, uh, the question that you have, which I think is very good in terms of who's the user and um, and who's the who's the buyer, is recognizing that it that is different. So let me give you an example. Flying drones in agriculture is like you having a broken arm and walking into a radiology to get your X-rays done. What can the radiology do for you? Nothing. So why would you pay a radiology to do that? It's a referral service. So the first wave of drone companies was going to growers with the presumption that there would be an ROI in imagery. The imagery itself does not have an ROI. The ROI is leveraged by the action from the image or informed by the image. In other words, here's an image. Oh, by the way, you need to put less chemistry. So the value is on the chemical supplier or the crop consultant, not the grower. We learned that early on, and that's why our, our buyer is not the grower. The buyer is the chemical supplier. So we have national relationships with Bayer, BSF, 
And they send us, similar to a radiology or a nurse and a doctor or the nurse, they send us do the vitals on the farms. The grower doesn't have to pay. And then they make and leverage that data for the purpose of selling the right chemistry so that you can apply the right product for the right problem. So I guess, I, I think I didn't realize this early on, your actual customers are not the growers themselves. It's the supply companies and you're providing analysis both to them and to the growers about various interventions that they would need to make based on your data. Am I getting that right? Exactly. It's a little bit of both. We do have to have the growers so that we don't have too much power by the suppliers, um, you know, with us and we, we appear more, you know, independent. So we, we do have um, both stakeholders as part of our platform. And you provide the drone pilots too? Yeah. So so one of the things that, again, there's an Apple versus Microsoft argument in, in the drone space, which is the do-it-yourself or the service model, right? Um, as a grower, would you buy your own drone and would you want to do this yourself or would you want to call Acre as a service provider to do it? I think there's merit for both. Um, the challenge is as these technologies and somebody, if you fly any drone, you probably know this. Every year, you know, DJI comes with a new drone. So the capital in, uh, cost and the obsolescence rate of this technology, it's annual, just like your cell phone. So growers are, you know, they don't have a lot of infrastructure capital to subsidize for this compared to what they recover on buying, say, a plant or a spray or a combine. Um, so I think that there is space for both where uh, there is um, a market for s- selling the drones themselves and selling a package that they do it. We are not that. We are more of a service provider. And so all of our fleet, all of our people, it's all turnkey. We dispatch people. We have all the software infrastructure to be able to facilitate the logistics and all the workflow to do all the processing, the interpretation, and the delivery as an API into our customers. This is a question I genuinely don't know the answer to at all. Like, How hard is it to train drone pilots for something like this? It's not very hard. And the reason is drone technology has come quite a bit uh, in terms of uh, automation. So the only thing that you have to do is essentially uh, load into the uh, the embedded software of the, of the autopilot in the drone, just the, the uh, a boundary files. So you upload a KML or a shapefile uh, of the GIS boundaries, and then the drone basically works by itself, similar to your iRobot vacuum cleaner in your house. It goes up and down. In this particular case, there's no obstructions. So it goes um, in and out and it collects uh, pictures every so many, depending on the speed and the programming of the drone and the characteristics. And then you have to create some overlap. So you take pictures of the air as you're looking down with some overlap so that you can stitch them together. So the first process when it comes back is you download this enormously rich, very high resolution folder with a ton of images, you throw it into a uh, GIS process that stitches this and creates an orthomosaic composition of the entire piece. And then you start to do some metadata extraction from there, and then you need to do some interpretation. But that's how the mapping service works. So just to do a, a couple of definitions, GIS is the actual geographic data, right? And a shape file is a map that has specific boundary data embedded in it. So you're actually giving the drone a map of the area and telling it the the boundaries of the area that it's supposed to fly in, and then it just goes off like a Roomba or whatever. Exactly. So GIS is some it's a map with the vectors and the this are these are the fences of the field that you should fly, and it has all of that with a GPS specification that it gets reconciled as the drone is flying, and um, yeah, it's pretty autonomous. Uh, when uh, when our pilots go to the field, they already have the work orders. The software's already built into the into the drone or uploaded, and then they go there. The only thing that they 
typically have to rely on is uh, um, having a tub full of batteries because they don't charge batteries on the go. They have to do it at home um, and put battery, fly it. It's a half hour. That's the average that we fly or about 40 minutes. Move on to the next one and keep going. That's for the mapping service. What in the software space is the most complicated or the most industry specific piece? I guess I'm kind of wondering to what extent you can use general, for instance, machine learning techniques or for, to what extent you need to develop new techniques that are more focused on the kinds of data that you're using. In our probe, which is kind of our next generation, that it's the exciting part, the, the machine learning it's very necessary. And one of the things that we're learning as we're doing some skunk work with machine learning is that 80% of the effort is having a well-defined training data set. It's all about the training set. And there's no way to go about doing this other than brute forcing it. So you have to go through the work of doing the tagging manually and capturing enough indications, uh, you know, thousands of indications of northern corn leaf blight or aphids or any one of these diseases or insects and having enough pattern matching so that then you can rely on a machine learning engine to be able to do the rest. I believe that the industry has enough stacks of engines. There's enough service providers coming up, emerging every day that we may not need to build our own uh, stack. So we have the training set, which is the heavy lifting. And what we're doing is evaluating different options for who can do better uh, prediction. And we're in a very fortunate position to be able to do that because we have such a massive data set to be able to do that. So we're shopping for vendors every day to be able to know which one plays better, nicer, as we uh, are trying to improve the, uh, the, the, the score of prediction and, and the probability of success in doing the matching and eliminating or reducing our false positives. And um, we're, we're in the middle of that right now. That's where we are. So as you look forward, like what sort of capabilities do you see agricultural technology being able to deliver in the next few years? Like what are growers going to be able to do that they weren't able to do or what are they going to be able to do more efficiently than they can do now? That's a loaded question. There's a lot there. So let me, uh, you know, from the perspective of our technology, I think that, you know, our next generation drone, which is the probes that flies into the canopy, completing the cycle for us to really do a good job in flying our probe into the canopy across different crop types, not just corn and soybeans, but specialty crop, tree crops, nuts, we're getting huge demand. How do you fly a drone and you uh, fly it in a smart way in the Z axis to go under the leaf? It's a, it's, a, it's a frontier that we are in the breakthrough category now. For the growers themselves, they're looking for better evidence, um, especially in season. You know, five years ago, the number one more popular thing to work is optimizing nitrogen use. That was very expensive input. Let's make sure that we don't spend much. Let's optimize that. And I think the industry has done a fairly good job in coming up with models to optimize nitrogen. This time around, what growers are more concerned is diseases. What's happening, in, in, and some of this is born out of uh, you know, climate change and, and just nature in general. When you create a super chemistry to be able to kill a bug, the bug evolves by Darwin to be able to generate a mutation that is a stronger bug. So the super chemistry is being met with super killers. <laughs> and so part of what um, it's interesting in this industry is having the opportunity to engage in technologies that are relevant to provide the growers with the level of resolution and timeliness on a very small window of time that they have between the moment that they plan to the moment that they connect, collect or harvest, which is 120 days roughly. And that's pretty tough to do 
And I think that's where growers are trying to optimize the use of inputs, what seed matters. So there's a lot that you see in terms of the biologicals and the seed, um, you know, genetically modified or molecular biology work that is going on. I think those are the two main things. If you, we have better technology on the, um, on the technology for the biotech and also for crop management, I think that's what growers are, are really, really hoping for more to improve their yield and their profitability. What got you into this sector in the first place? What made you interested in farming? I'm a foodie. You know, I'm the first in my family to go to college. Um, I go a lot to my hometown. It's Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. I, I just got super inspired to be able to connect and, and, and do work in something that was um, completely different. And, and I found agriculture to be fascinating. Uh, that alongside the fact that I met an amazing farmer. You know, if there's something that I invite anybody to do is, uh, you know, we, we have lost a connection in this country, especially in urban areas with food. And what is the source of food? We think that food comes from whole foods. You know, you hear all these stories. It's like, if there's a recommendation that I have for people, you know, read a good book or if you can, at least watch two movies that I recommend anybody to watch. It's like, you know, check Michael Pollan, uh, you know, in defense of food. Very good movie. Uh, check also uh, the um, Food Evolution. It's narrated by Neil deGrasse Tyson and has Rob Fofreilly, which is the CTO of Monsanto. It's a fantastic movie. Or if you can, hang out with a real farmer like I did. That's what you need to do. Uh, how did you go from uh, I'm hanging out with a real farmer to I'm going to like put my time and effort into a company that's going to help this sector yeah that's interesting so i you know i i do a lot of uh i try to promote university students and high schools to get involved in stem education much because of this my projection of the way that i have become successful and i'm lucky so as i'm in dominican republic five years ago i'm doing a talk and 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 related to technology and i brought a drone uh, phantom 2 plus dgi one of the early versions what do you think every kid is looking at this new thing, a plastic that can fly? Everybody's going, ooh, this is cool. So I need to figure out a way to make this relevant, not just a technology piece, but what's the use case? And in emerging markets, there's really two industries that kill, right? It's like tourism or agriculture. Agriculture seemed interesting. And uh, I started making calls to find out somebody who can answer the question, so what? So, so who, who has used drones and agriculture for something useful? And um, that's how I learned, um, and I found Todd Galley, a farmer in southern Minnesota, who is now my co-founder. I invited him to Dominican Republic four years ago, a balmy February in Minnesota. I said, Todd, would you come back with me and hang out in Dominican Republic? And he said, hell yeah. <laughs> so we traveled the world. We went to uh, you know uh, Brazil, Guatemala, Dominican Republic, uh, Malaysia, and I went with a farmer, came back with a partner. And for me, I mean, I've been lucky to be in companies that have been successful and a lot of it has to do nothing with the technology, but it has to do with the practitioner's approach. You know, what is the use case? And so for the last four years, uh, I've gotten in character. You know, I've, I've traveled just about every week to Minnesota to the farm. And then you have to get into the industry to understand how it works, to understand how to drive and bring value. Excellent. So what are some resources that are, normally I ask people just where to find you to continue the conversation. And I want to know, I want people to know that too, but I also, you mentioned a couple of movies and things like that. Are there some specific resources for people who are interested in agriculture tech, places that they can go to learn more about technology and software as it applies to agriculture? Yeah, there are a handful of very good resources. I would say, you know, similar to what happened digital tech were the early days, there were a number of accelerators and trades conferences that I would say, yes, get involved. There is a 
good group that deals with uh, more the specialty crop category uh, in the West Coast. It's called, you know, Thrive. It's an accelerator. They are an adjunct to a group that is part of Forbes that puts the largest uh, agricultural show where a lot of the senior leadership hangs out in Salinas, California. It's called the Ag Tech Summit. It's a, it's a pretty good group. And throughout the country, I mean, there's in St. Louis, there's the Yield Labs, which is an incubator accelerator dealing with this as well. I would say, you know, you dial in and you type, you know, AgTech, and you'll get a number of very good resources. Pro Farmer, Precision Ag, the trade, you know, the publishers of magazines, they put phenomenal shows related to this. If you really want to get deeper into it, you also want to do Where Farmers Go to get loaded with technology and knowledge. Um, I just came a couple of weeks ago, the largest show of this kind moves every year, but it's called the Commodities Classic. It happened in Orlando a couple of weeks ago. Very, very good. Farm Progress is the largest show, um, agriculture show that features a lot of the equipment, you know, big John Deere tractors, et cetera. It's in Iowa, it's massive, it's the largest of its kind. So I would say if you want to get involved, get in character, make sure that you find a good mentor farmer um, that is progressive, that is technology savvy. And if you're in the technology side, get involved with one of the AgTech accelerators. And there's quite a few and, and emerging and there's new every day, not just in the US, but around the world. Well, thank you very much. Where can people find more about you and about Acre to continue this conversation directly with you? Check out the information on my bio and the page that you have. And, um, and Acre is, um, website is aker.ag and um, love to continue the conversation. Yeah, that .ag is important. There are a lot of Acres out there. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> well, Orlando, this has been really interesting. Thank you very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Tech Done Right is a production of TableXI. You can find us on the web at tablexi.com and techdoneright.io, and you can find us on Twitter at tablexi and tech underscore done underscore right. You can listen to us wherever you get podcasts. The show is hosted by me, Noel Rappin. I'm at Noel Rapp on Twitter. The show is edited by Mandy Moore. She's at the Ruby Rep on Twitter. And of course, if you like the show, please tell a friend, a colleague, a pet, your social media network, or tell me. That would all be very, very helpful. And a review on Apple Podcasts helps people find the show. TableXI is a UX design and software development company in Chicago with a 15-year history of building websites, mobile applications, and custom digital experiences for everyone from startups to storied brands. Find us at TableXI.com where you can learn more about working with us or working for us. And we'll be back in a couple of weeks with the next episode of Tech Done Right.